Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Ashley Bastock here with Chris Fedor again. Uh, Chris, who is going to be on his way back from Orlando after a two straight game road trip against the Magic. But Chris, we have a lot to talk about since the last time we recorded a pod. Um, First of all, since then, the Cavs have clinched the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs. We're not able to chase Philadelphia down like we talked about last time for that number three mm-hmm. seed. Um, and they're up to 51 wins, their highest win total since the 2016-17 season. Yeah, I mean, it's been, um, no matter what happens in the postseason, Ashley, I, I believe it's a season that this organization deserves to celebrate. And I think even though they are focused on New York and they have bigger picture goals in mind, celebrating like the little milestones along the way, I think is okay. Yeah. And it's funny because Donovan was talking about this the other day and he was like, Hey, in today's era, it's all about rings. It's all about championships, but you just can't like overlook the fact that we won 50 games. It's a big deal for this organization. It shows a lot of the progress that we have made as an organization. Um, and in an Eastern conference that is loaded, that probably has the two best teams, um, for the definition fourth, I think is a big deal, and I think it's a big step forward. And they deserve a lot of credit for um, putting a plan in place, seeing it through, being patient through some of the struggles, and then coming out on the other side of it. Yeah, and I think like for the most part, to me at least, they've hit this tone that I think is probably the best possible tone for them to hit. Like when they clinched officially a playoff berth against the Rockets a few weeks ago, like we talked about it, it was a pretty like muted celebration, but like at the same time, it's like they weren't popping champagne bottles in the locker room because they're going to the playoffs. Like there was some element of no, like we have bigger expectations than this. And I still feel like that, but I still feel like they are acknowledging like what they're doing here. Um, yep. And how how it is important. And obviously, like we talked about last time, this rebuild has gone a lot more successfully and a lot quicker than a lot of other rebuilds around the league go. But at the same time, it's like they're acknowledging these things they need to do better. So like I specifically yep. I know we wanted to talk about um, this loss to the Knicks last week, this 130 to 116 loss that gave the Knicks the season series three to one. It essentially ended the Cavs hopes of chasing the three seed even back then, given the number of games that were left at the time. Um, and the Cavs start out really strong in that game. Donovan is 23 first quarter points, makes his first eight shots. The Knicks don't have Julius Randle and they still couldn't get it done. And it just seemed like you came away from that game reporting a lot about these lessons that they learned in that one. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about this team, right? It's it's so funny because I was talking back and forth with a couple of people around the NBA as that game was going on. And they're like, what do you mean, Chris, that they need another lesson? It's deep into the season. It's April. The playoffs are right around the corner. There are only a few games left in the regular season. And I just said, hey, look, like this is a relatively young team that there are some guys that are in different roles They're still trying to figure things out. It's not like you reach a status where you're like, oh, my God, we don't need any lessons ever again. You know what I mean? Oh, my God, we have everything figured out. We're not going to have any kind of slip ups like a week ago. Boston lost to Washington by 20 points. 
the Golden State Warriors haven't figured out how to win on the road, and they've got champions over there, and a lot of people think that they have a chance to repeat in the Western Conference. So it's like, these things happen throughout the course of a regular season. And I think the most important thing for the Cavs is that every time they have learned these harsh lessons, and every time they have learned through failure, they have gotten better because of it. Um, because of the struggles that they had on the road early in the season, they were able to finish with seven wins in their final nine road games, right? Because of the way that they played in that five-game losing streak in the heart-to-heart talk that they needed to have in the locker room in Milwaukee in mid-November, they made some changes to the lineup and they took Karis LeVert out of the starting lineup and they made him a six-man again. You know what I mean? So like, There are things that are going to happen throughout the course of the regular season for every team, Milwaukee, Boston, Golden State, Phoenix, the Cavs included, that aren't going to go as well as what you want. And the most important thing is, do you learn from them? Have you shown the capacity to take those lessons and be better from them? And I think we can all admit, based on the Cavs winning 51 games, getting home court advantage, the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference, that they are better because of every struggle that they have gone through throughout the course of the season. And they have more ideas of who they are and who they need to be in a seven game series against a team like New York because of that loss against the Knicks the other night. Yeah. And it's like, I kind of look back at that game and even like Tuesday night against the magic who obviously the Cavs come into that game favored, but like Orlando gave them pretty much everything they could handle. And that was not the game when guys were sitting out because of nagging injuries and resting but like I do wonder if we're gonna kind of look back on even just like that small two-game stretch and like be asking these guys about it in a few weeks like if they if they are able to win this first series against the Knicks like I think you can look back on these games as something that were really important in their playoff trajectory if they make a little run here because I do think you need to learn these kind of lessons as a team and we talk about all the time like nothing can replicate playoff experience right but you don't want to get to the playoffs and not really have dealt with any adversity because there's so much like changes and adversity you have to go through in a seven game series I also think Ashley and Donovan kind of alluded to this the other night when I asked him if there was like a weight lifted off of the team Because they had officially clinched home court and they knew that they were the fourth seed. Like, yes, some of these guys have been through a playoff push, right? But these guys, many of these guys, haven't been through a playoff push with heightened expectations. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think there were opportunities that they had, um, bigger games that they had, where they could have solidified home court earlier. And they didn't get it done. And I think there was a little bit of a weight on them. Maybe not Donovan, because Donovan's been through that, done that. He's seen, you don't want to say somebody has seen everything in the NBA, because then they turn around and see something completely different. That's like, oh my God, that caught me off guard. But like Donovan has seen a lot throughout the course of his career. And he's been through these kinds of mental challenges. And I just got the sense in being around the guys that some of them were worn down, not so much physically, but mentally by the chase of home court advantage, by, you know, how tight things were in the Eastern Conference, pressure-packed games down the stretch. And I think this break that they're getting the other night um, or last night against Orlando, maybe Sunday against Charlotte, that's still to be determined. 
I, I think it's more of a mental break or just as much of a mental break as a physical break where they don't have to be on, 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 attention to detail, attention to detail, attention to detail. Um, that's basically what it's been for the last two, two and a half weeks because the stakes have been so high, even in games against teams the caliber of the Orlando Magic, right? Because for the Cavs, those games were very, very important. So speaking of like Donovan Mitchell, let's kind of talk about this plan, it seems like, that has always existed for him to peak right now, that everybody <laughs> kind of thought we would see his best basketball yet in April. I know J.B. Bickerstaff had alluded to it earlier, um, but let's talk about some of his April numbers because, first yeah. of all, he's now he's the first NBA player with four consecutive games of at least 40 points since James Harden did it five straight times in the 2018-2019 season. Obviously, a guy J.B. Bickerstaff also coached. Mm-hmm. Um, and his April numbers so far, he's average, averaging 41.5 points per game <laughs> on 60.4% shooting. Um, and 44.4% on threes in the, in this month. Um, the last 15 games you wrote, he's, he's looked like a legitimate kind of MVP candidate with these numbers he's put, putting up. And, you know, he's also going quiet on social media now. So it yeah. just, I mean, I'm, I'm just really impressed with this ramp up by him, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, actually, I talked to him after the first game in Orlando. And I said, look, man, like, what team in the NBA, what player in the NBA doesn't want to be peaking at the the right time? Right. You know what I mean? Like Boston's it's trying a cliche. To, right. Boston's trying to be at their best going into the postseason. Milwaukee's trying to be at their best going into the postseason. Everybody is. And I said, what has been the key to you specifically learning how to do that? Because it's one thing to say it, right? It's another thing to turn around and have it happen. And it's happening before our eyes with Donovan. And this isn't to say that he was bad in November, December, February, anything like that. But this is just a different level, Donovan Mitchell. And he said that, you know, he learned from some of the guys that he was with in Utah how to do it. He learned from former head coach Quinn Snyder how to do it. Um, And he learned like different things from different great players and what things they added to their to their on-court workouts before games, um, what things they added in the weight room around this time, like what things they studied specifically when it came to the op- opponent around this time. And he said he's not trying to follow in the footsteps of LeBron, but he understands why LeBron went zero dark 23 during postseason runs. That's the way that LeBron liked to classify it. And he thought it made sense. So he decided to implement it this year. And I said, don't bleep, because you just tweeted, let them know earlier before tip-off and the other day before tip-off. So, like, that's not true. You are on social media. And he said, no, Chris, like, I have an assistant that sends out that tweet for me. So it's not me that's actually doing that. It's not me going in my mentions. It's not me searching my name or anything along those lines, what these guys do on Twitter. So I think it's fascinating. I I think you have seen a more locked in Donovan Mitchell around this time of year. He loves this time of year. He's always been a big game, big stage performer. And we're seeing that unfold between uh, before our eyes and between now and the series starting against the New York Knicks, like Donovan's going to get more time to lock in. And I'm just really, really fascinated to see what that means 
for what he can do in a seven-game series against the Knicks. Because if we're being honest about things, we don't know how Darius is going to respond in a playoff series. We just don't know. Right, right. We don't know how Evan Mobley and Isaac Okoro and some of these other guys are going to respond in a playoff series. So the pressure is going to be on Donovan. Like, he's the one at this stage of this organization's development that has to come through. It's why the Cavs went out and traded for him. And it's not like championship or bust this season for the Cavs. Their clock doesn't tick as rapidly as some of these other teams in the West and in the East. There's a runway for them to get better. But if the Cavs are going to win the series against the Knicks, Donovan has to be great. That's the bottom line. Yeah, yeah. And, like, this reminds me of, I don't know if you remember, like, do you remember last year around All-Star when I did the conference call with the TNT guys? Like, it was Charles Barkley, Kenny, and and, um, Shaq. Yeah. And I think I like asked them specifically about this, like a younger team in the playoffs. And Charles Barkley, like very emphatically, I remember, made that point to me. And, and he's one of these guys who he's come out multiple times and said, like, he thinks the difference maker with the Cavs turnaround, like last year, especially was the Jared Allen trade that that was like right. huge. I think he thinks it's underrated. But he brings up this point that like you do not know how young guys are going to react and so much of it is related to matchups and so much of it is related to that reaction and what do they do when they get punched in the face and have to respond and that's something that honestly has like stuck with me the last year because I do think it's so true and you know it's like we don't know how far the Cavs are going to go I think we maybe have an idea of where we think they might go but you really can't predict it until you get them in that situation. So I think that just kind of goes back to how like franchise altering this trade was for this organization and and how it is a win now kind of move. Let's flip it to the other side, right? If you're talking about the Knicks with that in mind, we've seen Brunson do it in the playoffs, right? It wasn't in New York. It was in Dallas. And Donovan's seen it. (laughs) And Donovan has seen it firsthand what he's capable of. Right. We've seen it from Julius Randle in the playoffs. So that's just something that the Cavs are going to have to figure out as they go. Right. And and that may lead to a little bit of failure from Darius. Right. It may lead from a little bit of failure from Evan Mobley. Even Jared Allen and Karis LeVert, they've they've got less than 10 games of postseason experience. Um, So we just haven't seen it like we would like to believe that somebody as talented as Evan who has handled everything that's been thrown at him and doesn't look phased by anything in life, right, is just going to go into his first playoff series and be this dominant force that he's been since early January. We would like to believe that, but we don't know that at the same level that we do with some of the Knicks guys. And you can say the same thing about Darius. I believe Darius is going to shine in the postseason. I believe he's that kind of player. I believe that having somebody like Donovan is going to take pressure off of him and it's going to make it easier on him. But I don't know that for sure. I don't have any evidence of that to back me up at this point in time. So I think it's going to be a fascinating seven game series. And no matter what happens, the Cavs are going to be better from playing a Tibbs coach team in a seven game series and playoff testing guys like Julius, like um, 
Jalen Brunson, and I'm I'm really really excited for this experience for the Cavs because as an organization, it's exactly what they need to take that next step, whatever that next step is. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we are going to talk about some rotational pieces of this postseason that the Cavs are going to have to deal with, some options they might have, and some issues that might arise. So we'll get to all that when we come back. And welcome back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm Ashley Bastock here with Chris Fedor. And Chris, as the Cavs kind of, you know, one more game left on Easter Sunday at home against Charlotte. But really, I think some one of the things we're interested in, especially in talking about right now, is these rotational questions that kind of mm. exist for this team at the moment. Um, so let's start off with Isaac Okoro, because he's been nursing this achy left knee for a while now. Um, he be- tried to battle as best as he could while they were actually chasing that playoff berth, but he played only nine minutes in that game against Houston. Um, mm-hmm. And JB at the time after the game said it's just something that hasn't been bothering him. He hasn't played since. So first of all, what's the latest that you have on him from your reporting? Let's start with that. So from everything I know, there is something that is causing the soreness. The Cavs have identified what it is. But it's not something that usually has a specific timeline attached Mm. to it. And it's something where it just oftentimes it takes a lot of time to feel better. And it could be better tomorrow, right? Or it could be better in about a week and a half, something along those lines. So that's part of the reason why there's just not a ton of clarity with it. Um, It's not like he needs another MRI. It's not like he needs any kind of special treatment or anything along those lines. You know, earlier this year, Dylan Windler had a PRP injection in his ankle. So it's not like that kind of issue where it's like, oh, we've got to take the next step. Da, 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 da. It just takes time. So the Cavs are working against a ticking clock at this point in time with the playoffs rolling around and and Isaac's still feeling a little bit of pain in, in his left knee. I also think that they're being smart and they're being cautious here down the stretch. Um, And they've earned that opportunity, right? Uh, Based on the way that they've played, based on the fact that they've got 51 wins and they've solidified home court and got the fourth seed, they're able to be more cautious when it comes to this. They're able to rest guys last night against Orlando and maybe Sunday against Charlotte. So I think it's something that because there's not a ton of clarity on it, Like JB is in a situation where he is prepared um, for the worst case scenario, just in case that's what comes to fruition. Right. Um, JB doesn't want that. Isaac doesn't want that. The Cavs don't want that. They understand the importance of Isaac Okoro, especially on the defensive end of the floor. In a seven-game series, he's the one who's going to be matched up with Jalen Brunson more than anybody else. And in past games against the Knicks, Isaac has done a really good job against the player, the caliber of Jalen Brunson. Um, so it, it keeps the Cavs from having to use Darius against Brunson or Donovan against Brunson or Karis LeVert or whatever the case may be. And it just gives them a different um, option and a different level that they can tap into defensively. But at this point of the season, you know, JB's got to run out Dean Wade. He's got to yeah. run out Danny Green. He's got to figure out, okay, if Isaac is not going to be available or if he's going to be limited in any way, if he can't be as effective as the Isaac that we need him to be, um, I've got to be ready. And these guys have to be ready. And they've had to play a little bit to get ready 
so that I can make that change in the snap of a finger. Whatever is best for the team at any given moment in any given series is what JB is going to do. And part of the reason why, you know, Dean got the start a couple nights ago, um, part of the reason why there was a ramp up plan involving Danny Green that was kind of altered because he got COVID for the third time in his career um, is because there's some um, uncertainty when it comes to Isaac at this point. Yeah, so let's talk about Danny Green, because like you said, it's kind of the the ramp up period for him was kind of thrown off course and unfortunately yeah. for the Caps. But, you know, 35 years old, one of the few guys on this roster who has played in meaningful playoff games, kind of has that resume that no one else on this roster has, but just hasn't been able to play much since he got here. He was working his way back from that bad knee injury he had in the postseason last May, kind of gets caught up early, you know, after he first gets here into JB's sort of numbers game with his shortened rotation. Um, And then, like you said, the ramp up period comes, he's sick, can't play. Uh, But last night we see him in Orlando on Thursday. He has team high 21 points with the Cavs resting, you know, most of their key players Eight of 14 shooting, five of nine from three, plays 26 minutes. It was the most points he had scored since March of 2021. So, I mean, feasibly, like, what do you see Danny Green's role being um, as this team goes into the postseason? And, you know, I I know what the scenario would be like probably if Isaac Okoro couldn't play. But if Isaac Okoro is okay, what's the what does his role look like? I have no idea. Do you? No, I've, no. I mean, for me I've, right now, I'm like, I just kind of assume like, well, he's yeah. like that veteran guy that, right. you know, I think because when me, when, when the Kevin Love, when everything went down with Kevin Love, for yeah. me, the biggest issue was not like, oh, you're losing what Kevin's bringing to the court because Kevin wasn't having a good year. It was more so like this guy who's won a championship year and knows what the deal is. And I do think right. guys like that are super important in a postseason run. To me, that was like the most value I saw for Danny. If Isaac can play, I don't know what what his role is going to look like because we know these rotations get shorter. But I yeah. think, you know, from a locker room, a leadership perspective, a guy like that, a guy like Ricky Rubio, like those guys are important to me. This is my best gauge of of what Danny will or could bring to the Cavs on the court in the playoffs. I think it's going to be very similar to how he's been used since being acquired after his buyout. And JB used him as a change of pace guy, right? JB used him as a spark off the bench. JB used him in certain situations where he felt like the game called for it because they needed somebody to bang a couple threes, space the floor, whatever the case may be. You know, that's what Danny can do. That's what he can bring. He's not going to be phased in in a grueling, tough playoff series against a team like New York. So I think that's basically his role on this team. And I know people want more clarity than that. And they want more certainty of when he's going to play, if he's going to be in the eight, nine man rotation, um, who he's going to play alongside all that different stuff. But I, I just don't think that's his reality on this team. I don't think that's Dean Wade's reality. I don't think that's Jetty Osman's reality. Like, unless your name, and there's there's another name here who I have some uncertainty about, but unless your name specifically is Garland, Mitchell, Okoro, Allen, Mobley, and Levert, and Rubio's the, the seventh guy who 
I don't know. There are some I was going to ask think, if that's the name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think the Cavs have some things to figure out when it comes to Ricky over this next week. So those six specifically, if your name is not one of them, I just think there's a reality attached of what you can expect on a nightly basis in terms of workload and specific role. Yeah, so let's transition to Ricky because you published a story very, very, very early this morning or late last night, depending on how you want to look at it and check it out. Subscriber exclusive over at Cleveland.com. Can Ricky Rubio still be a Cavs difference maker in playoffs after one of the most challenging seasons of his career? And, you know, for me, Chris, I'm always kind of fascinated by players who deal with severe injuries, like regardless of the sport, like I obviously primarily cover the Browns. I've spent a lot of time digging in to some of these Browns players who deal with season ending injuries and the impact that it has. And, you know, Ricky, he's, you know, older now and dealt with a severe knee injury, a torn ACL. He's dealt with an ACL tear before. um, And he's coming back. He worked his way back from it after dealing with that last year, the beginning of this year. But, you know, I reading your story, it's kind of interesting, like this idea that maybe at times like you you can see he's a step slower. Something's just a little bit off that like it's almost like you wrote that his mind is playing tricks on him. And I think I'm I'm just kind of fascinated by that, where a player who, who knows what it's supposed to look like, knows what he should be able to do. But like the body and the mind are just not connected almost at times. Yeah, that's the thing, Ashley. I mean, I think, first of all, he's 32 years old. This is his second torn ACL in the same knee. And history, from the very beginning, if we have this conversation, we have to acknowledge that history says majority of guys who tear their ACL are going to be more impactful and more like themselves in year two as opposed to year one. Right. So that's built into this whole thing. And I just think Ricky is at a stage here in his recovery where he's still trying to work his way back. And he's trying to make these movements. He's trying to blow by guys. He's trying to make these passes. And it's like his body physically won't let them do it. And it's a hard reality for him to accept at this stage of his recovery because mentally he's like, well, wait a minute. I'm more than a year removed from this thing. I came back in early January, like, why can't I do some of these things? Like, why am I not able physically to do some of the things that I've been able to do in past years? And I think there's also a reality that because he's 32 years old, because he's coming off this injury, because he's played a lot of hard minutes throughout the course of his career, like, he can't do things physically that a young Ricky Rubio can do. And that's hard on a guy to accept. It means you have to figure out a new way to attack defenses. It means you have to figure out a new way to be effective. And beyond everything else, and the numbers point to this, Ashley, he is being used in a completely different way than what he was used in the early portion of last season before he tore his ACL, when he was in the the six-man-of-the-year conversation, when he was an integral piece to the Cavs' rise. Donovan came in. Since Ricky left and came back, Donovan came in and Karras came in. And those are two ball-dominant guys that are taking some possessions away from Ricky, and he's being used more off the ball this year than he ever has in his entire career. And that's quite an adjustment for a guy 
who's also coming off a major knee injury, who didn't get preseason, who didn't get training camp, who didn't get the early portion of the season. He was thrust into a winning team midway through the season, and he had to find his way. And it's just not as easy as saying, well, do it. We'll figure it out. It's been very, very difficult on him for a number of different reasons. And I'm starting to wonder how much can he really impact at at this point with all the things that he's trying to work through still, how much of an impact can he really have in a seven game series? I don't know. I know. And that's like, I, again, it's like I look at him and I look at Danny Green and I'm like, when these rotations get smaller and I I just don't know, like I question how yeah. both of those guys are ultimately going to be used. And again, I mean, right. we haven't seen this team in this scenario before, so it's kind of the unknowable question until they're <laughs> actually out there doing it. So and there's another layer to this, too, Ashley. Think about this. Yeah. In in a seven-game series against New York, Darius and Donovan are going to play right. at least 40 minutes, give or take. You need them to. You need yeah. them to. I mean, everything points to them having to carry that kind of workload in that kind of matchup. So where do the minutes, consistent minutes, come from with Ricky, especially when you also have to factor in that Karras is going to get minutes, too. JB trusts him. JB loves yeah. his defense. JB loves his versatility. He can play the one, two, three. He matches up, I think, better with the young, bouncy, athletic, rugged Knicks. So I just don't know. Ricky needs reps, obviously. Ricky needs an opportunity to get into a rhythm. And I just don't know that he's going to be afforded that. It's going to be hard for JB to go, okay, Ricky, like we'll give you like eight minutes in the first half. And if you just don't have it, you're not going to play in the second half. You know what I mean? But like that might be his reality here because of the numbers game. Yeah. And it's like wild because you think about the situation, like he might need those eight minutes to find it, quote unquote. Right. Right. And like it might not come till like seven minutes and 30 seconds, but (laughs) that might be all the Cavs can can afford to have. But that's the nature of working your way back from an injury like this, especially when you're slightly. It's funny to say like slightly older. Right. Because Ricky Rubio is like two years older than me. It's really trippy for me to like say that. But like (laughs) in the scheme of this team and the scheme of the NBA, like 32 is on the slightly older side. Um, But you might just run into situations like that, I think. And that's just like the unfortunate reality of having to play in a seven game series like this with a bunch of younger guys who you need to kind of see what they have out there and they're your best bet to win anyway. Yeah. That's the thing about some of these guys too, Ashley, is that part of what's baked into their role. If we're saying like, what is X players role? And we've talked about this before on the podcast. Yeah. Not everybody on this team is going to have the Donovan Mitchell role. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's impossible. Not everybody on this team has earned the Darius Garland role. Sometimes with some of these guys, what's baked into their actual role is a level of fluctuation that is just something that they're all going to have to deal with. And it happens for every team around the NBA. Look at Grant Williams of the Boston Celtics. Like that dude has performed in the playoffs. That dude has started to come off the bench. He's banged a bunch of threes in big moments, but like, there's a lack of clarity for him on a night to night basis. Yeah. And I think the same thing goes for some of these other guys when it comes to the Cavs. 
And maybe that's just part of the role that they have to accept is that there's a level of fluctuation attached to it um, based on the way that this roster is set up currently. Yeah, well, all right. There's obviously a lot of these questions that, like we said, we're not going to know until they're out there doing it. But good news, we can tease this probably. There's going to be a few more podcasts coming your guys' way um, throughout the postseason (laughs) with Chris and I. So that will be good, good stuff. We're going to have a lot to talk about, obviously. I'll be at the games. Chris will be at the games. Um, Plenty of good stories to check out over at cleveland.com slash Cavs. If you click the blue banner at the top of your page, um, that'll allow you to become an insider. And I know a subtext subscriber information is also at the bottom of each of Chris's articles. And Chris posts most of his insider info to subtext subscribers first. You get that first before it's on the site before it's on Twitter. Uh, So be sure to check that out because there's going to be a lot to keep track of over these next few weeks as the Cavs try to make a run here. So Chris, plenty to talk about. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Sounds good, Ashley. Looking forward to it. It's fun to have playoff basketball back to talk about.